You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. With 27. For the weekend, a warming trend. Lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow is 60. Sunday's high at 64. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. We've had a lot of fun in the first hour of Big Noon Sports. Joe Gaither, Lars Anderson, and Christian Miller hanging out with you guys. Big thanks to Andrew Bone for joining us in the last segment. Lars, we've been breaking down offensive and defensive coordinators throughout the first hour. Uh, you got some big t- topics for the second hour. I know we're talking to a, a, an esteemed writer, correct? Uh, or do those yes, plans get changed? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think those plans may have changed, but okay, we're, no uh, we're efforting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about NATO in the we're, second we're, second hour. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, what's what's just? Uh, I'll start with you, Joe. Just your quick reaction to uh, the NATO's contract extension. Pay him, pay him more, more as much as he wants. What a blank check for Nate Oates. Uh, I, I, I don't want to lose him to any university, any other university. I, I love what he's done over four years, and I think he's earned every every, every dollar that he uh, was guaranteed today. Yeah, and um, I just hope Alabama can keep him, and I think they can. Uh, the The issue becomes when a Kentucky comes calling, right, and. Uh, uh, a, a program that is sort of at the always been at the elite of the elite level. I know Kentucky's down a little bit. It does seem that Calipari is on his last legs there, and it wouldn't surprise me if if, if Kentucky sort of you know backed up the Brinks truck to try to lure Nate to Lexington. But um, we'll see. That's something we can get into in, in an hour or two, among other topics. Absolutely. So stay with us on Big Noon Sports. We'll be back with more. Hour number two coming up next. of Town Square Media Tuscaloosa want to make your big game tailgate party better with Pepsi. One winner will win a big game tailgate party with a big 60-inch flat screen Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Big Noon Sports, hour number two. Welcome back in. Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, Joe Gaither, Aiden Dollars, Josh Smith, all hanging out with you guys. And Crawford and Tide 100.9. We really appreciate uh, everybody to 
Everybody uh, to jo- joining in and uh, tuning in hour number two. I'm sorry, Christian, I missed you. We're going to talk Jalen Hurts in this uh, segment? Yeah, I think Lars uh, wanted to tell a quick story about Jalen Hurts. Let's do it. I love Jalen Hurts. So give it to us, Lars. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also, for the next hour, we, we don't have any guests lined up, so we would love to hear from you. You can call us at 205-342-9904. Again, that's 205-342-9904. You always can listen to us on BigNoonSports.com. And in the Birmingham market, you can hear us on 92.5, on 95.3, and 12.60 a.m. in Tuscaloosa, our flagship station, uh, where Joe and Christian are at 100.9, and in Anniston and Gadsden on 97.5. And again, that number, we'd love to hear from you. Talk about whatever you want. Anything. Topic is wide open. Uh, that's 205-342-9904. Okay, so it was either uh, yesterday or the day before. I don't know. They all they all kind of blend together when you get to be my age. And I did something really stupid and that I took the bait from somebody on Twitter. And it was this Yahoo in Philadelphia who just was going on and on and on about how Nick Saban tried to ruin Jalen Hurts. Tried to ruin everything about Jalen Hurts. And I know for... I'd be willing basically to to bet my house, my life savings, that this guy's never even been to Tuscaloosa. And I certainly... I'd be willing to bet my children that he's never talked one-on-one to Nick Saban. Right? And to suggest that Nick Saban ruined Jalen Hurts is absolutely ludicrous because now, Christian, this has just been sort of my observation and it's a reported observation because I've talked to, you know, players over the years and coach Saban over the years. And uh, when Jalen was a freshman, I wrote a 5,000 word piece on him for Bleacher Report. And at the time, you know, when you were a freshman, uh, and, and this still is the case at Alabama and at many schools, uh, freshman players aren't allowed to talk to the media. And I think that's actually a pretty good rule for, for the players because it allows them to acclimate uh, without having to worry about uh, saying something incorrect in the media that could be misconstrued. So anyway, uh, for that piece, I went down to Channel View, Texas, where Jalen uh, played for his dad in high school and ended up talking like to his math teacher, to fellow students, uh, to, I mean, to, you know, police officers who knew the Hertz family. And, and look, the general consensus is Jalen Hertz is a great kid. I mean, there's just – you won't find anybody – at least in, I didn't for this story, who just doesn't really, really admire Jalen Hurts. And then the way that Jalen handled the whole situation with Tua and being uh, benched in the national championship game and not sulking on the sideline, but being Tua's biggest cheerleader, and then the fact that he... You know, after the game, he was like the first guy running out there to congratulate Tua. It showed so much character. 
and then just how Nick Saban would talk about Jalen, it was as if he was talking about his own son, how much he admired uh, how Jalen dealt with a, a, a hard situation, but instead of, again, pouting about it, man, he just put his head down and worked. And I don't think that that uh, Jalen would be the player he is today without his experience at Alabama. I truly don't. Yes, he, he's developed more than I ever thought he could. Uh, in, in, a, in a book I wrote with Bruce Arians, and Christian has heard me say this probably way too many times, but, but B.A., he always told me that by the age of about 20, a quarterback either has accuracy and in precision and timing or he doesn't. And it's not something that you really can learn once you get to the league. And so, you know, my expectations for Jalen, uh, just based on that sort of uh, blanket statement by Bruce Arians, who is incredibly well-respected, a, a guy known for developing quarterbacks, I did not think that his ceiling was as high as it's been. As high, And, and you know, he's playing at an absolutely elite level. He's in the Super Bowl. Um, he's potentially the MVP of uh, certainly of the of the NFC. So my question to Christian, and and I feel a little ridiculous even you know talking about Jalen this way because he's your friend. You know him better than ninety nine percent of the people in this state. What do you think his experience taught him at Alabama that he has carried with him? And and why is again this nut job who I responded to over Twitter and, and again that was so dumb on my part I can't believe it sometimes I do really stupid things uh, why is this guy so wrong? Well, I, I think his experience here taught him a number of things, um, but I think you have to give a lot of credit to his father uh, Avrion Hertz and the way he raised Jalen and, and being a very mature. Um, a mature guy who's um, a phenomenal leader, a guy who's willing to um, stay committed to the process um, through the highs and lows and really just attack something that he feels strongly about uh, because that's what we saw out of Jalen. His response to basically being benched in the championship game um, was unlike any other, and uh, he earned my respect. He already had my respect, but even more so after that moment, as a matter of fact, if you see that clip, him doing the interview, you actually see me walk up and tap his head just because I was so proud of um, the way he handled that moment. I mean, just to think um, a guy who's you know 26-2 and two as a starter um, and in, had so much success here, then to be you know substituted in a championship game, that's not easy for anybody, let alone the, the star quarterback. Um, so for him, for him to handle it in such poise and confidence, uh, just like how we see him stand back in that pocket, um, it wasn't surprising, but it was so commendable. And I think it just says a lot about his character. Um, and to answer your question about uh, the the guy's uh, comment about Coach Saban, I mean, I don't know if you saw the interview Coach Saban did, a little brief interview with the 33rd team, but he basically was telling the story about how the whole Jalen Hurts transfer uh, transpired and how um, you know Jalen stayed another year at Alabama as a backup. And Coach Saban told him, I want you to focus on um, becoming a better passer this entire year. 
because um, Jalen was uh, adamant on staying here and graduating from the University of Alabama. And so Coach Saban said, I want you this whole season just to, you know, take the time to, to focus on what you have to do to become a better passer. And so that's what Jalen did um, his final season here. And then they sat down again, I believe, and um, they were looking at the schools that Jalen would potentially transfer to. And he was deciding between Maryland, where Coach Locks was, who he was close with, who was uh, a coach here, and uh, also Miami, I think, because uh, he knew Dan Enos, who also was a coach here. And uh, Coach Saban told him, don't go to either one of those. Go to Oklahoma. Um, because he said you need to go to the school um, with the coach that's going to be the best coach to develop you as a quarterback, but also going to give you the most weapons because that's going to give you the best chance at having success. And even though he knew that Oklahoma would put him in a position to potentially face us in the playoffs, Coach Saban uh, you know, recommended he go there. He it told him that uh, that's where you need to go. And so that's ultimately where Jalen went, and uh, he had success at Oklahoma and ultimately you know, continued his progression as a quarterback. And now we've uh, seen uh, where he's at now, and it's just truly remarkable um, how much he's improved as a passer. You know, he's always been a talented passer. He's always been able to throw the deep ball, um, but his, his accuracy has just improved immensely. And uh, it, it's not surprising at all just because, again, if you know him, you know his commitment to being great. You know, he attacks everything like that. Um, whether he's in the weight room, you know, competing on a squat rack as a quarterback, squatting 600 pounds is unheard of. Uh, whether it's the fourth quarter program coming in first when we're doing our conditioning uh, or, or practice, just being the leader that he is. You know, you see him every week on a video with the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, you know, being a leader in that locker room. And he's got so much respect from his teammates. And um, that's not the easiest thing. You know, Jalen's a young guy. Um, and he's got the respect of all the older guys on the team. They, they're following his lead at such a young age because they see the maturity in him. They see how he's wise beyond his years. So, um, you know, I'm rooting for Jalen in this Super Bowl. Uh, you know, we also got three other guys, you know, you know uh, Smitty, uh, Josh Job, Landon Dickerson, those guys with the Eagles as well. So I hope they can pull it out and you never, never know. He might even come home with the MVP as well. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about Jalen and, uh, the success that he's having and, and his ability just to, just overall, just handle everything that's come his way and just continue to, to transcend it into the, the player and person that he is today. Lars, how much do you think that Jalen really yep. grew over Go the Go ahead, uh, Joe. Yeah, Lars, how much do you really think that Jalen really grew the year uh, that he sat on the bench behind, behind to a tug of Iloa? A lot of people, uh, the, a lot of the uh, the counter people, a lot of the anti-Alabama people are saying, oh, y'all benched him, and then he got better at Oklahoma. But I would contend that Dan Enos really, he's exactly like Christian just said, uh, spent a lot of time with Jalen, and they, they improved his passing even the year that he wasn't the starter. Yeah, if I remember correctly, um, uh, Jay Barker's son was uh, on that in that quarterback room at the same time. I, I could be wrong on that, but but he always sort of spoke uh, to to Jay, you know, who I did the show with for four years, just about how brilliant Dan Enos was, and uh, and and I'm I'm sure that that year of development was absolutely critical in just the overall development of uh, of Jalen. But, uh, Joe, I, I wanted to ask you, why has this become a thing of whether or not Alabama fans should claim Jalen as one of their own or Oklahoma fans? Like, it's, it's a huge deal over social media, I, I, and, I, and I, don't, I don't really get it. Uh, it, it just seems like a, a, a frivolous, inane argument to make. 
Because it's tribalism, Lars. It's tribalism. We, he's ours. He's not yours. Uh, and, and really, for me, if Oklahoma wants to celebrate his success, great. They can celebrate him. But I think a lot of the detractors, or at least a lot of the detractors that I face in my personal life, they say, Joe, you can't celebrate him. Because I, I try to as much as possible. Uh, they say, oh, yeah, you can't celebrate him. And, and most of these are non-Alabama fans. Most of our people are fans of schools that have far less success. And so uh, I think that they, they think that uh, Alabama fans, Alabama fans were riding on the coattails of Jalen's success, and he he left us or so moved on. But but I think everybody worked together. I think that Alabama's success during his years were a lot due to Jalen's Jalen's hard work, and I think a, a lot of his success at the moment is ba- is based off the building blocks that he built here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I, I think it's a silly argument as well, Lars. It's it's a we should all just be celebrating all the hard work and the su- success that he's having. Yeah, and I I think uh, if pressed, I think Jalen would tell you that he's he's Alabama. That's where he got his degree from. By the way, I I believe he got his degree in the building that I teach in, Reese Pfeiffer. Um, yes, and, he did. Uh, well, we really were we graduated good. together. Yep. I have a graduation photo <laughs> with Jalen Hurts. It's one of my favorite photos ever. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. Um, and, and and Christian, finally, before we go to break. What's it do to just the intensity of the weight room when your quarterback is squatting 600? No, it fires everybody up. I mean, everybody's excited just because, you know, that's your quarterback. He's the leader of the team, but typically they're not the strongest guys on the team. But in this case with Jalen, he's definitely one of the strongest guys on the team. He squatted more than I could, and uh, he had my respects for that. But it just gets everybody fired up, and it just helps uh, bring that energy to the weight room, which then, uh, you know, is, is carried out on the football field and the practice, you know, that same day just because everybody's fired up. Lars, we're gonna go ahead and All right. Hit um, and yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, guys. Yeah, on, on, on the other side, I I want to I want to continue talking a little bit more about Jalen Hurts and 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 um, and, and, and and what uh, both of you have seen of how the Philadelphia coaches have tailored the offense there in Philly to Jalen's skill set. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt, and Christian. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The weather outside might be cold, but these deals at Townsend Nissan are hot. Like $2,000 discounts from select new Nissans and finance rates as low as 1.9. Low at 27. For the weekend, a warming trend. Lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow is 60. Sunday's high at 64. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back in to Big Noon Sports. We're talking little uh, Jalen Hurts and what the Eagles have done 
to surround him with uh, the kind of talent that is the stuff of wildest dreams for a quarterback. Um, you just so Jalen, I think he did enough in twenty twenty one to convince uh, Howie Roseman. Uh, not only to give Jalen another chance, but then he was going to build the offense in a way that clearly made Jalen the, the the centerpiece. And let's just sort of review here what uh, what the Eagles have have done uh, and over the last two years with Jalen in mind. They drafted Devonte Smith, his teammate at Alabama, Heisman Trophy winner. Complete stud. Landon Dickerson, another teammate at Alabama, who was the heart and soul of that uh, national championship winning team. A.J. Brown brought him over as a free agent from, or a tra- I don't know, maybe is a trade. free agent or a trade. Trade. Uh, trade, okay, trade. And then gave him a long-term deal. And A.J. Brown is on record today as calling Jalen one of his best friends. They added a, a, a tight end named Grant Calcutteri. Cuttera, Calcutera? Uh, who played with Jalen Calcutera, who played with Jalen at Oklahoma. Added a running back, Kennedy Brooks, played with Jalen at Oklahoma. They have uh, Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends in the game, and they have a really dominant offensive line and a really good rushing attack. And, you know, it's just uh, there's weapons all over the place. And so it it seems like this is just a a perfect fit for Jalen because he doesn't necessarily have to beat you from the pocket, right? And uh, and the the offense is, is so dynamic. And we saw that when he hurt his shoulder and was out, the Eagles just simply weren't the same team which shows you just how important he is. And really, every starting quarterback is important to their team. But, uh, Christian, I'll go to you first. Uh, What do you see that the Eagles have done to really make Jalen feel comfortable in this offense? Well, you already hit on it, Lars. You know, they drafted Devontae Smith. They went and got A.J. Brown. So uh, two great weapons at the wide receiver position. They have three pro bowlers on the offensive line, making them arguably the best offensive line in the NFL. And their playbook uh, consists of RPO after RPO after RPO, which if you don't know what that is, it's a run-pass option, um, which – fits him perfectly because that's what he ran a lot at Oklahoma, ran some of that uh, at Alabama as well. Um, so he fits that offense tremendously. They went out and got him the weapons he needs, and now everything is just flowing seamlessly. Um, their ability to run the football, which they do that um, you know, great as well, um, allows him um, to throw the ball much more effectively. His offensive line allows him to sit back in that pocket um, and, and, and really put the ball out there on his targets the way he needs to. And, and he, he can attack you with his legs. And, and again, that's why they love the RPO style offense with him because again, he is, um, the, the, he is a staple of an RPO style quarterback. Um, and, and not to mention, you know, he, he's making some phenomenal throws, but, um, when you put that whole thing together, I mean, that's just a recipe for success. So credit to the Eagles, their GM, their head coach, Sirianni, their offensive coordinator, um, for putting this all in play because, 
Um, there were some people, some skeptics of Jalen going into the season. Um, some people didn't even know if he was going to be their quarterback moving forward. But he's proved so many people wrong. And, and you, you, you look at him run this offense. And uh, I've even heard guys say, oh, well, you could put anybody in that offense. No. That, that's not true. I mean, sure, you can put a quarterback in there. And he has a lot better chance at being successful. I mean, who wouldn't when you have three Pro Bowl offensive linemen and those great receivers? Like, that's, that's a no-brainer. Of course, you have a lot better chance of being successful. But that does not mean you're going to run it um, to the ability that Jalen Hurts runs it. Because, again, he's putting the ball on the money. He's dropping the ball. Uh, he's dropping it in the, in, in the bread basket. Um, and, and when he pulls the football on these RPOs, he's dangerous with his legs. And what makes the RPO um, so difficult to defend, and I'm speaking as a defender here, um, those run-pass options, the linebacker has to respect the run because it technically is a run first, right? He's going to – well, first he's going to read the, the defense pre-snap. He's going to try to get an idea. But he also then has to, you know, post-snap read it because things can change. Sometimes defense are disguising or things they're, – they're on a path that might change how, if he pulls the ball or throws the ball. But it, it puts so much stress on the inside linebackers because they are then required to respect the run. And when they get – this is how you play the linebacker position. You read your keys, right? So they are reading those guards. When they see that low hat, they are anticipating run. They have to respect that. But when Jalen gets that that feel that they're playing, they're stepping up, he's going to pull the football and he's going to hit a quick slant or those quick flat little drag routes right uh, behind because that's what it's intended to do. Um, and, and vice versa, if he sees them playing soft and they're slow and that defensive end is, is kind of sitting there, he's going to hand the ball off and they, they're going to pick up three, four, five yards. Um, so it's just so difficult to stop because – it, it's crazy. The RPO is one of the most simple plays there is. It looks so simple, but it's so difficult to defend. And and that's basically what they're doing with Jalen Hurts and um, why they're having so so much success with him because uh, you combine his skill set with those players in that style of offense, um, it's just a recipe for success. And going back to who should claim Jalen Hurts, Alabama or thing. Oklahoma? Let me just say this, Lars. I'm sorry. <laughs> If you are a grown adult and you are arguing over who to claim a, 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 as a football player on where he went to school, you need to get a life. I'm sorry, but if you if you're taking part of that, <laughs> I, I know you need, I, you need to get I, a I, life I, because look, the guy graduated from Alabama. He's best friends with all the guys we he played with at Alabama. We all talk to him. He talks to us. Um, he claims both schools. I don't understand why you can't be happy for the guy from both places. He played at Oklahoma as well. They can be proud of him too. Like, I, like th- this is the silliest thing to me. Like, it, like it's like people I, fighting over something. Like, and I hate to say this, but the people fighting over this, Jalen doesn't even know who you are. <laughs> he honestly hey, didn't care less. I, I, like, I yeah. agree. I agree. I was just, I was just going to make the point that a photo went viral after the championship game of Jalen with his girlfriend, Bri Burrows. They've been dating since 2016. Where did they meet? Not in Oklahoma. They met at the University of Alabama. <laughs> All right. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. We, we have uh, Franny on the line uh, and uh, wants to talk about Jalen. Franny, how are you doing today? Hey, Jackson. Jackson, hit that caller one line on. Turn it on. Caller one. No, no, right here on the line. You just hung up. Right here on the, on the board. On the board. Right there. You're right there. Down there, Freddie, you're right. you're on the show. Big news sports. All right, how are you guys doing? Very good, very good. Uh, doing great. I spoke to Kelvin Croom during the uh, football season, 
Sylvester's brother about Jalen Hurts. And he talked to one of the coaches. He happened to sit next to me at the Alabama games this year. And he said the coaches told him basically to run three different plays. And we run variations off of those three plays. And uh, just learn those and you'll be fine. Not unlike what Brian Dayball did, did with Josh Allen. And if you think about it, Bradshaw said all those years ago, there's only so many formations you can run. Just learn what you have to learn and perfect it. And that's what he's done. And he's done it very well. And the coaches have pointed out his strengths and not made him uh, sensory overloads so to speak, to simplify everything and do it. It sounds simple, but a lot of coaches can't do that for whatever reason. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for the call. Uh, Christian, your, your response to that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was just saying in terms of the simplicity of an RPO, but – um, at the end of the day, it's still very intricate in terms of the variations that you can, um, you know, do with it, and then um, the ways that you can make it look different, dress it up, um, you know, change the different options um, of those pass uh, plays that are uh, entailed in that RPO. So that's a that's a great point, Franny. That that's pretty much what it is. I mean, you're you're taking a simple concept, uh, but dressing it up and making it a lot more detailed and uh, putting a lot more stress on the defenders trying to defend it. Excellent analysis, as always, Christian. All right, we will be right back with the last half hour of Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Still overpaying for a razor? In this economy? Gross. At Dollar Shave Club, you can get a top-shelf shave at a regular shelf price. We've been hawking shaving products... Big news, big news coming out of Auburn. The state's number one basketball prospect in the state, LeBaron Phylon, he is committed to Auburn. Uh, He chose Auburn over a final six that included Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Kansas. He becomes the second top 30 recruit. Coach Bruce Pearl has landed in the past three days. Good time to be Bruce, Bruce Pearl. Uh, and this follows landing the, the number 20 recruit in the country, according to ESPN, Tahid Pettiford, who committed to Auburn earlier this week. And, guys, this raises the question. Uh, and, and, Joe, I, I'll start with you. Um, is the rivalry between Alabama basketball and Auburn basketball – are we approaching an all-time high here? 
given how good both of these teams are? I mean, Auburn may have the most uh, uh, or, 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 or the greatest home court advantage in the country. And that arena, the dimensions of it, everything about it is going to be replicated across the country because the students are just right on top of you. And it is one of the loudest places. Uh, it doesn't have an, an incredibly high seating capacity. I think it's like 9,000 or something. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that Alabama's new arena, whenever they uh, actually get around to, to breaking ground on it, hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. And I know it has a lot to do with the high cost of uh, materials and lumber in particular. But anyway, all that being said, where are we in terms of these two schools, their programs, and the rivalry, Joe? Well, Lars, uh, in my memory, it is the highest that it's ever been. Now, my memory doesn't date as far back as, as some of our listeners, but in my memory, this is the best that both programs have, have been at the same time. And the, the the rivalry between Alabama and Auburn, already we already know how, how vicious it is. But a lot of the times with football, one side's been good and the other side has not. Uh, and, but I think it's unique right now that both sides are competing right, right here for an SEC championship. They both have top top 15 programs. Really, Bruce Pearl uh, obviously got himself a win on the recruiting trail today. I wonder how much that cost Mr. Yellow Wood. Uh, but LeBaron Phylon, apparently, he's averaging around 35, 40 points a game in high school. It's going to be going to be a, a huge get for, for Bruce Pearl. Yeah, I think the rivalry is at an all time high. Have you have you got a chance to see a game in Neville Arena at Lars? I have not. Well, I have not been down there. Uh, come have with you. Yeah, tell me. Tell me about the experience. Yeah, come with me in two weeks. I went last year. I went last year for the Alabama game. I thought there was a chance that Alabama would have pulled. Would have was able to pull the upset, but no, they got uh, Alabama. Got we had our doors beat off that night. Uh, JD Davidson zero points. But no, I was there uh, for last year's game, and I got in there about an hour before the arena, and the place was already packed and it was already loud. It was it was like walking into uh, like walking into an Auburn pepper rally that lasted for four hours uh it was it was insane and and, and i gotta commend and, and give a lot of credit to uh the architects and to the student section i mean they brought the energy and we all remember bruce pearl popping the crimson crane after the game and then and, and going to get the, the broom from the crowd because yes give them credit they won both both matchups last year i think the rivalry is at an all-time high i'm i'm really looking forward to uh to the matchup in two weeks going down to auburn i'm gonna be there again and hopefully the result will be a little bit better our our, our uh, phenomenal fresh won't walk away with zero points in Neville Arena this time around. Uh, Christian, I know when you were uh, a player at Alabama, you were close to a lot of the basketball players. Just describe again what that relationship is like between the football team and the basketball team, and and uh, and and what you have seen. And I don't know if you have seen much, but just how how that is uh, going on right now. That relationship. Um. <laughs> uh, we well, hmm, that's that's an interesting question because um, I don't know what the relationship or is, is that now. a complete. Um, yeah. but I'll be honest with you. Um, there's always a weird dynamic. It was actually kind of the opposite. We, 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 always, we, we weren't like the, the, the closest that you'd actually imagine. I don't know why that was. Um, we just actually, we, we, we I don't know. We, <laughs> I don't know. They're just that we weren't really like as, as close as you might imagine. I mean, 
you'd be friends with like specific guys sometimes, but um, weren't weren't many times that we actually just you know, hey, we're going to go hang out with the basketball guys. It actually, really, yeah. it actually, no, I, I, <laughs> actually, was kind of weird. We we didn't really hang out with them much. If I'm being completely transparent here, um, would you have categorized? Would you ca- have categorized that as somewhat of a pseudo rivalry on campus? I don't even know if I would call it just a, like a rivalry, for, uh, so to speak. It's just like, I mean, their schedule was different than our schedule. I mean, you'd see them in the dining hall, and like, like I'd be friends with some of them that I knew from like classes, right? right. But like. There wasn't like a special relationship, like oh, you know, the football and the basketball guys are like best friends. It, it never was like that. If if anything, you know, like I said, like there's like maybe one or two that you knew from, you know, classes or, or whatnot, or you see them in the, in the dorms and you're cool with them, but you know, you weren't like best friends. You know, you typically kind of stuck with your guys from the football team because that's who you're with twenty four seven. So, um, yeah, sorry, sorry, Lars. I was about to say I might, I might have I might have threw you off on that question, but yeah, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. It's well, the opposite almost. It's just kind of you know you're like, you're like affiliates. Hey, no, no such thing as a dumb question. That's what I tell my students. But I may have just asked one. No, uh, no you're fine. I, no, no, you're fine. I, no, people uh, people it, don't know that. It's just, yeah. but it's it, that actually is an interesting uh, thing to to kind of talk about because it's I, you know we respect I, their game and whatnot. It's just we just never. We're around them as much as you'd imagine. Like, it kind of sounds like what goes on in this building. There's eight radio stations in here, and you know, I say hi to the other people on the other radio stations, right? But, but you might not, not be like hanging out that much. The closest of friends. Sure. Yeah, that's kind of kind of how. It I is. hope their shows go well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but it was funny you said. Maybe there is like some like you know uh, unspoken rivalry. I, I don't know. I, I never had an issue with anybody. It wasn't yeah. like I had a you know problem with anybody. Or was trying to size anybody up. It's just never. Was as close uh, to them as I mean, it really it almost is like that with most sports. If I'm being honest, I mean, like again, you just have select friends from like certain sports, um, but everyone's schedules are so different. And, and different. And it, it was like if you had a class with a basketball player or uh, a girl on the soccer team or the volleyball team, like you'd be friends with them, right? But it, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, never really had like the closest relationship with basketball guys. Yeah, I mean the the reason I ask is because a- Antonio Langham, uh, who used to join Jay and I a lot, he'd often talk about how he and Latrell Sprewell were just sort of <laughs> thick as thieves mm. when they were on campus together, and uh, and that there was a, a unique bond between the the basketball players and the and the football players, and I and I think it's because they were all living in the same dorm, and and uh, it must have would, changed. You know. over the years because like, I was about to say it, we we were in the same dorms but I mean like we yeah we, we didn't really hang out that much so yeah that's interesting I mean may, maybe back in the day it was a little more um, of you know closer dynamic between the two well, as you know about Langham, he he's never met somebody who's not his best friend, and uh, he's he's one of the more enjoyable human beings to to be around, and he he's buddies with with everybody. But uh, on the other side of this break, guys, let's uh, let's wrap up uh, wrap up the show by talking about Nate Oates, his new contract, what that means, will he finish his career? at Alabama. Uh, I think it's a it's a fair question to ask and uh, it's it's uh, certainly at this moment in time it's fair to ask given that he just got this uh, pretty massive extension and uh, he certainly is worth every penny 
And, uh, you know, I didn't know anything about Nate Oates when he was hired. And uh, we've talked to Greg Byrne several times about how he almost went on this clandestine mission, you know, out to Buffalo, made sure nobody saw him and and uh, was able to to really see Nate Oates out there. And uh, and, and gosh, you got to give Greg Byrne so much credit for finding him in Buffalo because he was not really on the radar of, of many uh, media members who were tracking the coaching search. So we'll get into that on uh, the other side. This is Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Under the biggest cactus in town, Taco Casa. Quality is, is number one. you got to start with a good quality product, but it's got to be at a good value to the customers. Everything is about quality. You just can't. With 27. For the weekend, a warming trend. Lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow is 60. Sunday's high at 64. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 50 degrees in Tuscaloosa. If you're watching uh, any of the cable networks, we have a couple on here in the studio. They are tracking the China spy balloon, which is heading over, uh, I believe it's over the, the Midwest right now. My question is, guys, before we get into Nate Oates, I'm not sure of the elevation of this thing, but you can, you can clearly, a camera is cl- clearly zeroed in on it. Does this make it over... <laughs> Does this make it over the state of Alabama without getting shot down by somebody? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's probably definitely very much elevated. But I'm just kind of confused. I mean, a spy balloon? Like, I, I mean, like, I just feel like in 2023, there's probably other dynamics, right? I mean, a, a balloon? <laughs> like, it is kind yeah, of interesting. It, I mean, it's, it, it's almost like, do they want this to be known or get caught? I mean, there's no way to, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know much about it. I've kind of just been reading headlines, but it, it is very, very intriguing. But <laughs> I just know that there's, there's some guys in a shed in Alabama right now figuring out, trying to figure out a way how to get a bullet that high. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's just, uh, that's just me talking. All right. Um, you know what? My internet just went down, Joe. Do you have the details of of uh, Nate Oates' contract extension uh, at your fingertips? And uh, and then the follow-up to that is, uh, do you think a big-name program like the Kentucky uh, would come after him at some point? 
I'm looking. All right, there. Uh, uh, do I think a big name program will come after him? I, I absolutely think there's no reason not to. Based off his, based off his success already. Uh, where are we got? Come on, Gary. I'm looking at Gary Harris's Twitter, and because he tweeted it earlier today. Uh, there it is, right there. Nate Oates and I Wes apologize. Hart. No, no, no. That's fine. It's okay. Uh, Nate Oates and Wes Hart. Uh, well, I had her. He's, he's, his extension is to 2029. His extension is to 2029, and it's going to be an average annual value of five million dollars. It starts uh, starts off a little under a little over four million, and will have incentives and, and increases to make the average annual value of the contract at five million dollars. Yeah, I'm reading here. It says it begins with an annual base salary of three hundred five thousand, and the talent fee is four point one nine five million for 23 and 24 uh, that season, and then increases two hundred thousand each season through. 28 and 29 season so um, definitely a, a big time uh, contract extension for him very much deserved I mean if you look at the success that he's had since he uh, had, had, uh, arrived here at Alabama um, you know he was coach of the year in the SEC uh, a year or so ago and, and he is just man just done a phenomenal job and um, even though I'm not the biggest basketball guru I, I just love um, his approach to coaching uh, his uh, his program that he's brought with them, that, that blue-collar, hard-hat mentality that we see guys playing with. And I just I truly respect it. It kind of reminds me of you know similar values and principles that we see within Coach Saban's program in terms of just hard work, commitment, and effort and toughness. And uh, I love what I'm seeing on the court, and I hope we can uh, have him stay for a while. But there's no doubt I think other schools or big, bigger schools uh, may try to you know come and, and, and snatch him up uh, out of our hands. But – uh, I, I, I've gotten to know Coach O's a little bit personally, and uh, I will say he loves Alabama. Um, he, he loves being a part of uh, what they have going on there, the culture they're building. But he also just loves uh, Tuscaloosa. You know, I see him on the lake uh, often. You know, he, he's got a little, his little boat out there. He enjoys being out on the lake. So, um, you know, I think he's really embraced Alabama, just like everybody here has embraced him. And I think he plans and anticipates on being here for a while. Lars, you think his daughters and, yeah. his, and his wife really are celebrating the most today when they see these numbers come through? <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, how different is the environment at Coleman now as opposed to when you were a student uh, not that long ago? Yeah, it's, it's, it's better. Uh, it's definitely better. i uh, got to give a lot of credit to, uh, to to Luke Ratliff and what he what he's built and a couple of uh, Crimson Chaos presidents that have come after him. I think Blake Byler and uh, a couple others. Uh, but, but no, it, it's better. It's not where I would love it, but I, I'm... Uh, I kind of bring a football mindset to basketball because I love the basketball team more more than the football team. Uh, and so I want them to be – we should have 100%. We should have Coleman at 100% every time. Now, that's an insane standard. Go ahead. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you think building that new arena will help you know further get that, that environment going and, and keep uh, improving? Obviously, the environment has improved tremendously. We know that. But don't you think it's kind of time to go ahead and give them that arena to, to really further uh, – you know, see those results in terms of the fan turnout and just the, the overall quality um, atmosphere that, that I think we potentially could have. And, you know, we have the talent, we have the team, we have the coach, we have the fans. I think now it's time for the arena. I 100% agree. Tuesday night we had a little over 9,000 people in the arena, and it looked like, it, I mean, it was 60% full. If that were our new potential arena, that would be 100%. And the people that were going nuts on, on, on Tuesday night would have had an even greater impact in that new arena. I think that is, I know the construction costs. They're not going to 
to come down. They're not, there's not going to come down. It's something that we have to plan for. And and really, Greg Byrne has been deliberating about how what's the best way to finance uh, the, the the arena. Right. I think it's going to happen. I think they've just been trying to work through how do they want to finance the arena. You know, guys, I took my I took my son eighty three million. Go ahead. And it's almost two hundred and fifty million now. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the the cost of it has, has gone up, and hopefully, uh, they can find the funds for it. But but Joe, uh, to your point, uh, a couple weeks ago, I took my son Lincoln, who's seven, to the LSU game, and it was a sellout. And he kept telling me, and then Alabama just crushed LSU, right? He kept telling me, Daddy, it's so quiet in here. <laughs> because the only thing he had to compare it to was Bryant Denny Stadium. And he's, you know, he's a young, young kids have sensitive ears. And uh, he just uh, was shocked at how quiet it is. They, they definitely need a new basketball arena. All right. Uh, thanks to everyone at Tide. Thanks to Joe Gaither for filling in for Matt Coulter. Awesome job as always, Joe. Thanks to my buddy. Christian Miller, and we will see you on Monday. Everybody, stay safe this weekend and enjoy. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Illustrated. Matt Coulter. A former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. And Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. All right, welcome in. Big Noon Sports. Joe Gaither, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, all hanging out with you guys for the next two hours. Lars, thank you so much for the invitation to hang out with you guys today. I feel like a esteemed radio host with with, with, with all the – I don't belong with all the uh, accolades that you and Christian Miller will bring to the show, but we're going to have a lot of fun today. I hope that uh, this Friday is treating you well, sir. Yeah, it's uh, a beautiful day, and um, I, I, I hate to say this, and I hate to – lead the show on a relatively somber note but whenever i see a baby blue sky Hmm. like today and just not a uh cloud anywhere i i I am i automatically go back to 9-11 because i was living in new york and this is exactly what the sky looked like on that day and uh you know there's just some scars that will never heal and I lost a few friends that day, and you know, there's just a, a lot of sort of trauma, obviously, for not just those of us in New York City, but for everyone around the country. And so it kind of ruined blue skies for me. I feel like I'm a real blue sky guy, <laughs> right? And uh, you know, I love uh, the song "Blue Skies" by Willie Nelson. But um, but no, it's uh, it, it's it's a beautiful day. And uh, I know we have a lot to get into. Um, let's uh, just dive right into that. You know, the, the story of the day to me is the uh, offensive coordinator search. What, what's the latest? I, I know you have been just been talking about that on your show on uh, Tide 100.9, our, our flagship station. 
What uh, what are you hearing, and what's the latest? The latest that I've heard for Tommy Reese is that he was in town yesterday. We all saw him uh, arriving at the airport and interviewed in person. And uh, apparently, I've been I've, I've heard that he was offered the job. So we're kind of in a holding pattern uh, whether he's going to accept that job or if uh, if he's going to return to Notre Dame. I, I'm sure that some of the financial details are getting hammered out. I think he was making right around two million dollars at Notre Dame. So uh, you, he's he's going to want a little little bit of a raise on that considering his ties to 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 Notre Dame and to South Bend uh the, uh, the some some actual news Lars uh about 2 minutes before our, the show got going Chris Lowe tweeted that Todd Grantham, who interviewed for the defensive coordinator job, has decided to return to the NFL as an assistant with the New Orleans Saints. Grantham was an analyst at Bama last season. He worked at the NFL for 11 seasons and was defensive coordinator at three different SEC schools. So this takes Nick Saban's backup plan for the defensive coordinator kind of off the table. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with Todd Grantham over the years and always been really impressed. Um, The results haven't been spectacular at times with him, but he's certainly more than capable. But the thing is, if if you're a defensive coordinator under Nick Saban, you know, you are essentially – taking orders from Nick Saban. This is Nick Sa- it's almost like Nick Saban really is the defensive coordinator. Yes, you you are making the certain play calls, but Nick has the right to veto absolutely anything. And he has the right to veto things on offense too. You know, in in all of the stories and books that I've written on Nick, I have been told by so many people that he could have been just of a, as brilliant of an offensive coach as a defensive coach because we have to remember that you know he was uh, a quarterback going all the way back to Pop Warner in, in high school and you know his dad would would sit with them in the in their uh, living room there in, in in rural West Virginia and they would break down tape and Man, his dad was a hard ass on him too. He's like Nick would throw a touchdown pass, and and his dad was like, "Well, you know, just it, it wasn't quite the perfect spiral." <laughs> Big Nick would tell little Nick, and I and I think you know you, you can sort of it, it's very easy to analyze Nick through his dad. And I even asked Nick one time uh, on uh, when I was on Hey Coach with him, I asked him since his father passed away at age forty six if uh if that gave him and infused him with a sense of uh sort of urgency to get things done and he had a very you know uh well thought out answer and the basic answer was yes just because you know that tomorrow is not promised and uh and you know and and he has been a person who always tries to get the most out of every single day uh that's why it's one reason why there's Never any wasted time in Nick Saban's day. You know, why he eats the same lunch every day. It's because he doesn't want to take time to figure out, hey, what what do I order this afternoon? Um, and uh, Jim Harbaugh is the same way. That's why he wears uh, the khakis all the time, because he doesn't want to spend time in the morning picking out a different outfit to wear. Um, you know, just two incredibly driven people. Although I think Jim Harbaugh is a possibility of, uh, there's some other sort of mental issues going on there with him and certainly not with Nick. I, I don't want to say too much more about Harbaugh. Uh, and I think the similarities in there, but if, if it is Tommy Reese 
And I don't know if you've had a chance to really sort of dig into Tommy and, and the offense that he ran at Notre Dame. Is there sort of a bigger picture, something larger to be extracted from if it's Tommy Reese? Like, how is that going to change the Alabama offense moving forward? Will there be, in your mind, Joe, a, a, philo- a even just a slight philosophical shift? Uh, on, on, if Tommy Reese takes over, I think there will be a slight philosophical yeah. shift because he, uh, he he incorporates more motion into his offense. He has a little bit more of a college style, which I think brings that creativity. We got to remember he played he played college quarterback very recently, what oh nine to thirteen or so for for, for Notre Dame, and then uh, he spent spent the last seven years coaching uh, up there in South Bend. So he's got a lot of um, he's got a lot of college experience. He, at just thirty years old, he has a lot of college football experience. I, I, I worry personally about the age factor because I think this that uh, this job can be uh, can be a little difficult especially for for, for somebody maybe uh, at that age but if coach Saban, I've been in this camp if coach Saban is going to do the hiring whoever he brings in they're going to be working with great tools they're going to be working with great great offensive linemen great quarterback play obviously it's not Bryce Young but you talented quarterback talented wide receiver talented uh, running backs I think that whoever coach brings in is going to do a good job and we're going to average you know, right around that 35 40 points a game and it's really going to be the the, the differences for the that you'll see is uh, from the down to down play calling uh, i think coach o'brien took a lot of shots down the field and was uh, tried to use the space down the field I, I think maybe reese or uh nick saban wants to get back to a little more methodical play from the offensive end now i don't know that for sure you'd have to probably ask uh, christian for, for a little more in- insight on his on his goals for the offense but i'm pretty confident in whoever he brings in and, and reese he's been coaching at a high level institution for a long time yes he's young but i think that if coach wants to take that risk uh it's it's no it's no worse than the risk that he took on uh wh- wh- where did golden come from louisiana state southwest <laughs> louisiana tech or uh he, he came from a very small school uh, except turn his mic on guess one texas uh what was it texas something like that can't remember but no i i think honestly with with Rees, if if uh and what i'm reading is correct from I read something from Greg McElroy, and it basically was saying, if you're familiar with that 2015 offense, which I was a part of, you know that downhill, um, you know rushing attack with you know backs like Derrick Henry and things that we've seen in typical uh, offenses from Alabama. You know, definitely a strong running um, running game and, and physical up front. Uh, you know, heavy personnel. Um, that's kind of what you can expect. Similar with uh, Tommy Reese. So if that's the case, I, I uh, I'm all for it. I think it'd be great. And uh, I think it'd be uh, exactly what Alabama needs. Everybody wants Alabama to run the football, and it seems like Tommy Rees would come in and want to do that. So, um, again, I'm with you, Joe. I, I think Coach Saban knows what he's doing. As a matter of fact, I don't think I know. <laughs> I know he knows what he's doing, and uh, you know he's going to get the right guy for the job, the right guy that fits um, what he wants to do and, and his vision for the offense moving forward. And so uh, if he's uh, for Tommy Rees, and I'm all for him. How do you think uh, – do, do you have any insight? Yeah, it, I'm sorry, Lars, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to ask real quick. Uh, it seems like Tommy Reese likes to use more 12 personnel. Right. Can you explain, Christian, exactly what that is? Yeah, that's one back and two tight ends. So that's definitely more of a um, – we call it, you know, pro personnel. You see it a lot in the NFL. You know, uh, it's definitely quite the opposite of a typical air raid, you know, where you got four guys spread out throwing the football. 12 personnel, again, is one running back. The first number is the number of running backs. The second number is the number of tight ends. 
so example for another example would be 21 that's two backs and one tight end so 12 personnel is one back two tight ends um you definitely can you see a lot more um of rushing attack play action pass built off of that and uh that's what we used to see out of alabama and uh and they had a lot of success running it um obviously college football is uh slightly adapted more to the the air raid and more opening things up stretching the field but um, there's still a lot um, of benefits from running uh, an offense uh, typically like that because you also can still expand. It's not like you, just because he uh, favors that type of you know uh, personnel on first and second down it doesn't mean he's not going to spread the field and open things up. So um, I, I think that would actually be a pretty good fit. And, and again, if Coach Saban um, is interested in this guy, he obviously um, has the credibility to go with it. What 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 is the biggest advantage of lining up just one back and and two tight ends? Having the, the fact that you have those two tight ends in there, does it just give you more flexibility both in the run game and the pass game? Or if if you're on the on the defensive side of the ball, when you see that personnel package, uh, what are the problems that you're automatically faced with? Well, it's like I just said. I mean, it's it's designed to run the football. It's a heavier personnel, right? You have two tight ends, so you have extra support in the run game, and you you definitely can build off of that with play-action pass. Um, so that's typically why you get into 12 personnel is to run the football. So instead of having just five linemen in the game, you have – Two more, two uh, extra blockers, uh, so to speak, um, that that helps run the football. Add a lot more physicality up front. Um, but like I just was mentioning, you can you know build into the in the, the the play action pass off of that. You know, get your tight ends involved in the passing game when you have guys like Cam uh, Latu and tight ends of, of that nature that can run routes and catch passes, uh, but can also block. They fit that scheme perfectly. You know, Alabama just got a transfer from Maryland who's kind of an old school type of tight end who who likes to block a physical guy, but also is a great receiver in the passing game. It will fit guys like him perfectly. Do you think that do you think that uh, Nick Saban saw the success of Todd Munkin and with the, the the success that Georgia has had over the last two years with uh, that more physical style, play action passing style, and said we we got to get back to that. Well, that's a great point, Joe. If you look at Georgia's offense, they run a lot of twelve personnel. They got Brock Bowers and the guys behind him, the the other guy, big guy, Washington, Washington. Washington. Yeah, I mean, and you look at their offense. Their offense is very efficient. It's one of the best in the country. Um, but, again, you see them. They, they've also adapted. They, they get in the, the gun. They, they throw the football. Um, but at the same time, they are they are prepared to get in 12 personnel and run the football down your throat and play physical style of football. And so that's why um, seeing an offense like this is actually a very balanced offense. And it's uh, something that's very positive because you can uh, switch things up. You're not just one-dimensional, right? Um, it's not Again, he's not just only running the football. He's also doing things like, uh, you know, spreading the football out by using, you know, utilizing play action pass and, and things of that nature. Large when you when you look at this, all right, yeah. so Chris, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Christian. This this is this is a uh, Christian. This is the the most important question of the day. Did you ever come face to face, helmet to helmet, with Derrick Henry on the practice field or in the spring game? And did you truck him, or did you did you get trucked? Well, we know. Uh, I mean, if, you, if it was in the spring game, you would have saw that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, um, no. I, my first play, actually, in my uh, one of my first scrimmages here, I had to make a tackle on him. I was lined up on the right side, and uh, they ran kind of like a zone stretch play, I believe. And uh, he ended up cutting back because uh, I was on the back side. You know, the, the tackle blocked down, so I was unblocked. He ended up cutting the ball back and uh, had to make a. Uh, a tackle on the backside and uh, just went low. You got to go low on a guy like that, a bigger, heavier set guy. 
Um, so I just played it strategic. You know, I hit him down on the waistline, made the tackle, and uh, kind of built my confidence up. Cause, because, again, that was one of my first uh, moments in a full tackle um, environment because, again, you know, we don't tackle in practice, only in the scrimmages. Um, and, again, I was, I was like my freshman year. So making that tackle that first play and going against the, the you know, the ones that day because, you know, we scrimmage normally the earlier parts of the scrimmage is ones versus twos and, and vice versa. So um, that definitely built my confidence of making a tackle on you know big old running back Derrick Henry that everybody's so scared of. Was that going into his Heisman Trophy winning season? That was, yeah, it was, uh, well. The spring of that, the Heisman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly right, yeah. Lars, I want to ask you uh, about the offense. And Christian was talking about George's ability to go from 12 personnel to a little bit more spread out. And just from your perception and perspective, Lars, did you feel like Alabama, when they wanted to get big and wanted to run the football downhill over the last two years, maybe looked uh, uncomfortable or, or, or not quite, not, not quite, um, yeah, not quite comfortable with what they were doing? Yeah, and and I think that is now being reflected in how Nick Saban is recruiting. I mean, uh, the offensive linemen that he's bringing in just in this class of 2023 are gigantic human beings. And <laughs> I mean, I, I I go I go back to um you know some some of the, the the former first round picks that Alabama had on the offensive line and these guys were just beasts just monsters it's like you can't believe how big they are and Alabama was really the bread and butter was uh was just being able to hammer guys in the uh in the running game and I think there's going to be more of a mixture of that, uh, especially if if Tommy is going to be is going to be the guy. And it certainly looks like that. Like if you if you go and 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 read sort of what the in the know Notre Dame writers are are doing on social media, they think that Tommy is as good as gone. Um, and uh, it, it, who knows? I mean, this may have been the person that that Nick wanted all along. And I think it's interesting and something we're talking about in the next segment is, is why is Nick Saban bringing in younger coordinators? Uh, and, and I do think the defensive coordinator, whoever it's going to be, is likely to be younger. Is it because uh, they kind of, you know, can revitalize the staff? Is it recruiting? It's almost like you, you see this pendulum swing back and forth between experienced guys who maybe aren't great recruiters, who aren't as uh, vigorous on the recruiting trail, to younger guys who really can go just full throttle all the time on the recruiting trail. So uh, something to discuss on the other side, Joe. Absolutely. You're listening to Big News Sports. We'll have more with Lars Anderson and Christian Miller right after this. Yeah. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Haven't heard from us lately? It's probably time to update your Tide 100.9 app. You may need to go into your phone's app store and run an update or even reinstall the app. 
with 27. For the weekend, a warming trend. Lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow is 60. Sunday's high at 64. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 48 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back here to Big Noon Sports. Hanging out with Lars Anderson and Christian Miller. Filling in for Matt Coulter today. Got big shoes to fill. But we're talking about Alabama's offensive and defensive coordinators as the saga continues over at the Malmore Athletic uh, Complex. Seems that Nick Saban has uh, identified an offensive coordinator candidate that he that he likes and may, might be moving down the road to hiring Tommy Reese. Uh, but really, on the defensive side of the football, Lars Anderson is where more questions come up with with the news of Chris Lowe's tweet as of twelve o'clock that Todd Grantham will not be staying with the Alabama staff. He's going to be going to the New Orleans Saints. So, with that information, we flip to the defensive side of the football. Where does Nick Saban go next? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just don't know. Um, I have not heard any other names, but I do know this, that Nick Saban has been through more coordinator hires in the last, uh, uh, what, 15 years than any other coach in the United States. Uh, and probably in any, uh, either at the pro level or the the college level, and um, I, I don't know, uh, I, Christian. I know that you had a chance to speak briefly with Nick Saban yesterday. I, I had to leave, and I didn't get to hear this, but I, I saw some people tweeting about it. Um, and if you could just recap that, because I, I had to go to campus and had to go to class, uh, but. But what, when you had a chance to talk to Coach Saban, and I don't want you to reveal anything, you know, that's privileged between the two of you. Well, I, I never, but, sp- I never um, spoke to him, Lars. I, I never spoke to him. Okay. He, he spoke at the Red Elephant Club signing day event. Um, if that's what you're talking about. I never – well, I mean, I spoke Yeah, I spoke uh, I'm to sorry. Him. Well, so, so, I greeted him, but some, I didn't talk somebody, to him. You, 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 about you've been stuff. misquoted then on social media. You've been misquoted on Twitter. Shocker, right? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but can you tell us just what the general message was? Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, I got to go back. So uh, it, it, his message at the event on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, well, he said a lot of stuff, man. I, I, you want me to go, go over everything he said? It was this, this long. Uh, no, just just about the coordinator search. Uh, basically just told people, you know, just let him, you know, do his process, do his job. He kind of joked about saying if, you know, people are so eager about it, if they want to do his job for him, they can go ahead and apply. And everybody kind of laughed at that. Um, but he's basically just saying, yeah, just let let them do what they need to do um, to hire the right people. And he kind of said without saying, you know, that, you know, obviously some guys he, he would love to be able to get on staff, but it's just, it, it's just not going to be able to work out. And um, it's not always going to be about the, the fanciest name. Um, it's, it's about getting the right people. And, uh, and, and I was saying from my own perspective, if you look at it, um, a lot of these people that we, we call big names, they didn't really have a big name before they came here. They earned that name 
after coming to Alabama and having the success that they had here and, and working under Coach Saban um, that kind of helped transcend their name in terms of the coaching ranks. Um, so that's kind of what I was getting at. But he, he touched on a number of topics, uh, whether it's NIL, the recruiting class, um, the coordinator search. Um, sound like he just had a lot to get off his chest, and uh, yeah, he just um, you know went over that at, at the Red Elephant Club signing day. So I'm not sharing any conversations. There's no personal conversations I had with him. I don't know why somebody said that. It, it, it was if you were in attendance, which there was you know a couple hundred people there, um, you heard the same thing I heard. Now, did I greet him and speak to him, say hello? Yeah, but I didn't, we didn't discuss any personal matters. And if we did, I would never come on air and sit <laughs> and talk about it. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, it seems to me, and this is just my my gut, right? This is not based on any reporting. It seems to me that he would like to hire Jeremy Pruitt, right? The the, the former Tennessee head coach who was his former defensive coordinator, uh, was with him uh, and was a Broyles Award finalist twice in, in 2012 and 2016, and um, I, they have great familiarity with one another. The problem is, is the cloud of the NCAA uh, sanctions hanging over Pruitt. And will he be allowed to coach in, in the SEC this upcoming year? And, and does Greg Sankey have a say in that? So I, I don't think Coach Sabe is necessarily in a rush to figure out who his D coordinator is. But again, my gut thinks, or my gut tells me that Jeremy Pruitt would be his ideal choice. Now, uh, do you agree with that, Joe, or or, or what are you hearing? I, I, I think that if, uh, if 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 all circumstances were equal, then yes, Jeremy Pruitt would have been his number one choice and would have been the most ideal candidate. But I feel, and, and I've kind of heard that uh, the NCAA uh, apparently the NCAA investigation with Tennessee, the rulings that kind of have not come out, or, or what may end up being. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's punishments from from, from those uh, from those allegations and investigations just creates too much uncertainty. Just, just creates too much uh, uh, of yeah uncertainty for Nick Saban hiring hiring Jeremy Pruitt. If you bring him in and then he gets slapped with let's say a show cause or something worse or just anything, then, then those are penalties that Nick Saban would have to deal with in his program. And then you, you, you got to think about okay, well maybe we can bring him in as an analyst. And you think about that angle. You bring Jeremy Pruitt in a, as an analyst. Whoever you're hiring as the defensive coordinator is going to be looking over his shoulder the entire the entire season, uh, wondering if Jeremy Pruitt's coming for his job or if he's going to get uh, relieved and Jeremy Pruitt will be elevated into his job. I think that if the NCAA investigation or NCAA circumstances with Tennessee were not involved, then we would have already had. Jeremy Pruitt as our defensive coordinator. Um, that, that that search would have been over. Uh, at this point, I think that coach is kind of uh, going through reevaluating his short list. Uh, we saw Todd Grantham is off the uh, is now off the list, but I think he's reevaluating his candidates, and he's probably going to uh, go go back to some of his, his his advisors and say, okay, I can't hire Jeremy, and Todd uh, Todd Grantham has gone to the NFL. From here, uh, I don't know where he goes, Lars. I wouldn't be surprised if he looks at one of the young guys on his staff to elevate uh, elevate him into that role and kind of groom him. But but on a, I'm saying that without any any inside knowledge. Uh, I, I I don't know where he goes from here. Christian, do you have any thoughts now that Grantham has decided that uh, he's going to go to the NFL? I mean, good for him. Go to the NFL. Do what you want to do. Uh, but what what does what do we do from here? You know, if I had a guess, though, I mean, I feel like if he 
if he was offered the defensive coordinator job, he probably would have accepted it. So maybe it didn't work out sure. between them. And I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. But you'd imagine if he interviewed for that job, I, I feel like he'd want to, unless the NFL opportunity uh, arised, you know, a little bit later. But um, one, one of those things where um, I, I feel that um, it's – it's tough to say. I don't know where you necessarily go just because there's not too many names. And that's why I was exactly uh, saying yesterday, you know, all these people uh, this whole time wanted to, you know, criticize Pete Gold and all the all you heard about Pete Gold. And, and, and sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Right. Because now here you are. You're almost kind of stranded trying to find somebody the best available. Um, it just goes to show you that, you know, it's not always what it seems. You know, everything from the outside is not what it seems on the inside, right? And, and that's what I was trying to say. I don't, Coach Saban was a lot higher on Pete Golden than a lot of people imagined. And um, I think they'll still find a, a great replacement uh, to fill that void. It's just a matter of getting getting somebody who, who, again, I know I keep saying this. I sound like a broken record, but it's true. You have to fit the system. You have to fit in here. Again, that goes for coaches and players. You know, Alabama is a very, um, a very disciplined program. It's a very strict, uh, run program. So you, you have to fit in and, and, um, you know, you, you can't just come in here and, and expect to do things your way. I mean, it, that's part of the job. You know, you're going to have Coach Saban to, you know, discuss things with. And I hate to say, it, but that probably deters a couple candidates because they might not have free range to really do everything they want to do because they're going to have to kind of run it over Coach Saban because at the end of the day, it's 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 normally his defense and his program. So um, I think it just depends on you know who's available now and and, and who would um, fit the bill. And, and um, at the end of the day, they're going to get the right guy. It's just interesting because I think we all kind of were just saying you know. If it can't be Pruitt, which we've kind of learned that, right? I mean, I know for a fact Coach Saban would have loved to have Pruitt. He, he kind of alluded to that at the uh, signing day party, but he kind of just said, you know, it, we all love uh, certain people, but sometimes it just can't work out. And uh, basically, saying what you're saying is just there's probably too many limitations and constraints, um, and, and too many uh, unknown obstacles if you were to hire Pruitt at this time. Um, so unfortunately, that probably can't happen from what we've learned. Um, so the next option was Todd Grantham. He's going to the NFL. So now you, know, you just got to keep searching. But they'll find the right guy. Alabama still is a very attractive job. Um, again, it's not the easiest job as a coach. We all know that. But um, in terms of really, you know, ascending your, your name in the coaching ranks and, and uh, getting a, a phenomenal experience uh, as, a, as a football coach, there's no better opportunity now. It's going to be tough. You're going to have Coach Saban riding you, and you're going to have hella expectations from the outside, the fans, and, and, and everything going on. But – at the end of the day, it's a tremendous opportunity, and whoever gets that opportunity, uh, I think, will make the most of it. Joe, I know we need to get to break, but here's one name to still keep an eye on, and I think that is uh, former Wisconsin defensive coordinator Jim Leonard. Um, Jim Leonard needs to sort of do some soul-searching here because he was the interim head coach at Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsin guy. He did really well coaching, being the defensive coordinator there. And yet they go out and they hire Luke Fickle as the head coach. So what does Jim Leonard want to do? He wants to become a head coach. Where's the best place in the country to learn how to do that? The school of Nick Saban. Now, does Jim, will Jim Leonard, would he be able to fit in, in, in Nick Saban's sort of schematic you know, way he wants to do things? I would think so. Um, but uh, I, I haven't seen anything officially linking Jim Leonard to Alabama, but I think it's something really to keep an eye on. And we'll keep an eye on it right here on Big Noon Sports. We'll be back with more right here.
From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Chris, this needs to go to Parkville by 3. Joy to the holiday packages that keep coming at Jimenez Couriers. Coming your way, but the drop-off location is changing. She needs delivery drivers with the gift. Welcome back in Big Noon Sports. Large Anderson and Christian Miller, and it's now time to head out to our hotline and find our friend Andrew Bone. Andrew Bone is going to be joining us via On3 Sports. He's covering all, all things recruiting for the Alabama Crimson Tide, and the Alabama Crimson Tide had a pretty good signing day on Wednesday. So uh, we want to hear about it. Andrew, good, good, good afternoon. How's your day going? Going great. How are we doing today? Well, having a great day so far. Tell us, uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide completed the number one overall signing uh, signing day class on, on Wednesday. Uh, not a whole lot of surprises going into Wednesday, but just uh, what, what were some of the, the highlights for Andrew Bone and, and, and your team at On3 Sports? Yeah, I think the biggest highlight of the day was it, it was just a normal it was just a normal Wednesday. Uh, it wasn't really uh, a ton going on for Alabama. I mean, you know, the, the early signing period kind of uh took all that uh excitement away and uh you know we were you know we were really focused on that period there was really nothing to uh to watch this month obviously some uh some big announcements elsewhere you know we saw nicholas harbour the um i call him a unicorn athlete um from washington dc announced his commitment to uh to south carolina so a big win there for for Shane Beamer, but you know, as far as uh, Alabama was concerned, you know, they wrapped up its number one recruiting class, uh, you know, last or let's say last month, but back in uh, back in December, and you know, it was um, obviously a pretty remarkable class. And you know, after you know going to these All American games, the Under Armour game, the uh, All American Bowl out in San Antonio, you know, a lot, a lot of these analysts got a chance to see, you know, some of these guys one more time, you know. During the game, during practice, every single day, you know, get a chance to do a lot of one-on-ones and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I think you know for the most part the rankings were you know pretty much set, but you just want to kind of see you know how guys are going to perform throughout the week and see if there's some somebody that you may have missed. So you know we kind of saw Alabama uh, you know commit signees move up a little bit in the rankings. Um, I think they ended up. I know some services had nine five stars on three ended up I think with eight five stars in the recruiting class. Regardless, it's a lot of five stars. So you know, it's a uh, you know, it's a pretty remarkable class. You know, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I thought the defensive side of the ball was uh, you know pretty remarkable because you got better uh, at every single level on the defensive front, at linebacker, at edge, um, and in the secondary. Just stars all around, and, and guys who can come in and make an impact. Not just guys who are you know, going to sit there on the bench or try to develop over the next couple of years. You have guys in this class, you know, from the junior college ranks, transfer portal, but also high school that have that athletic ability. Um, and there are, I'm not saying they're fully developed yet, but they're developed enough where they can get on the field early. Somebody like Caleb Downs, one of the recruits I've seen in all my years. And I, I've covered recruiting uh, this fall will be 20 years of covering recruiting, which is hard to believe. Um, but Caleb Downs is about the best safety recruit uh, that I've seen. And I've seen some pretty awesome ones uh, coming out of high school. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick was such a special, special guy. Um, you know, I remember Derwin James coming out of high school thinking how great 
uh, he was, and then uh, you know Eddie Jackson. You know, even though Eddie Jackson was only a three star coming out of high school, I thought to myself, you know, this guy, you know, even though he missed his entire junior season, he started emerging as a senior. You know, watching his film, I thought to myself, this guy could be, um, you know, a pretty special athlete in the secondary for Alabama, and he, and he turned out to be pretty, <laughs> pretty freaking good. So. I think Caleb Downs is right on that level, and I, I would be shocked if he didn't play a significant uh, role on Alabama's football team next year. Y'all, uh, you know, obviously have the the older guys that are coming in, the the transfers and the junior college players. And every time you know you see a junior college player or a transfer come in, uh, you got to know that you know those are guys that Alabama believes have an opportunity. To contribute, it's not saying that they definitely will because we've seen those guys come in and you know some don't pan out, but there is belief that these guys are going to make a big impact. And I think you got to look, uh, you know, first at Malik Benson. Um, you know, there was already a lot of uh, talk about him, you know, coming in early, you know, participating in bowl practice. He was the number one senior college player in the country. Didn't have a lot of offers coming out of high school. Didn't have the grades, and he's admitted that, and you know, really kind of focused in on his grades played at Hutchinson Community College in Kansas and, you know, broke several records. So this is a guy that I feel like is going to, um, you know, be an unbelievable player on the offensive side of the ball for the Crimson Tide next season. And, you know, really looking forward to seeing how these guys develop because, you know, we can talk about classes all the time and how great they are and, uh, you know, how they stack up to previous recruiting classes, but you really don't know for a couple more years. You know, we'll find out in a couple more years if it's going to stack up with, you know, this class or that class. But, you know, on paper, it's the highest-rated recruiting class uh, that Nick Saban's been able to sign when, you know, a lot of people have started to, you know, doubt the GOAT and uh, Alabama's ability to recruit in this new era of the NIL. They get, they bring in, you know, one of the best recruiting classes of, of the uh, modern rankings there. Andrew, I just want to ask you, because one thing I noticed, obviously, a lot of people notice this, the, the size and stature of these linemen uh, that they brought in. These guys are, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six plus, and over 330 pounds. And um, in my opinion, I feel like that's a testament to where they want to go with the offensive line, you know, get bigger and be more dominant up front. Would you agree with that? I think so. And I, I think there was a little bit of a drop-off the last couple of years. Now, I'm not saying that the talent wasn't there, but you, know, you, you we went through that. 2021 recruiting cycle whereas in 2020 coaches didn't get out and get a chance to really evaluate guys obviously there were a couple really good ones jc latham pretty spectacular player but well they didn't get out and uh and evaluate kids so there was a lot of guys in alabama's class in that 2021 class that they never saw in person that they just you know they evaluated on film sometimes you know maybe they saw them back in uh, uh back when they were sophomores but didn't really get a chance to see that entire group. And we've seen some of those those guys transfer out of the program. Now, 2022 class, we saw three signees on the offensive front. That's not really that good. I think you, you really want to get four or five offensive linemen in just about every recruiting class. Now, they did have one guy leave the program kind of right away. That was Dane Shore, which... You know, not, it wasn't really, you know, there weren't really high expectations for them, but, but they did sign two really good players in the offensive front in Tyler Booker and, you know, one guy I'm really excited about who was injured for most of the last year, uh, Elijah Pritchett. I think he's got a chance to be a pretty, pretty special offensive lineman, you know, based on some things that I've heard, um, you know, coming out of Tuscaloosa. But, 
You know, this class, um, you know, I thought Eric Wolford's first-year offensive line close did a tremendous job, um, you know, going out there, evaluating, and building relationships with, with bigger, uh, you know, guys with just a ton of size. And as you mentioned, I mean, I think four of the five offensive linemen who were signed are all over six feet, six, yeah, they should be over six feet tall, over six foot six. 330 pounds. I mean, these are some absolute monsters. Again, the smallest guy on the offensive front is six foot three, uh, 340 pounds, and that's uh, Raquez McElderry from Aniston. But I, I think that this is a you know, this is where Alabama wants to go, and I think they're they're going to you know kind of focus on that in next year's recruiting class and this 2024 class. Um, what probably impressed me most about this offensive line unit. Is Alabama had, you know, you go back to last spring, you know, last February, there was about nine offensive linemen that we had mentioned early on. And a lot of guys kind of get discovered a little bit later in spring or summer. But, you know, out of the nine guys that we talked about a year ago, Alabama signed five of those guys, um, which is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, they really kind of zoned in, or excuse me, zeroed in on five guys, or the, you know, nine guys with hope that they could land five of them. They didn't want to go to their you know, secondary guys, you know, guys that they, uh, you know, really like, but, you know, maybe they were going to take a couple of years to develop. You know, they really got the guys that they wanted uh, from the get-go, and I thought that was really impressive the way that Alabama was able to recruit in this class. But a lot of that has to go to uh, Eric Wolford and his recruiting ability because every single one of those kids that I, that committed to Alabama had a previous relationship with Coach Wolf from when he was at Kentucky. They all knew him. They all had connections with him. But they were also all, you know, it wasn't just guys that, you know, Coach Wolfer was um, going after from the get-go. Alabama was recruiting these guys, and once um, he came to Tuscaloosa, it was just kind of a match made in heaven, and um, yeah, really helped out on the recruiting front for the time. Andrew, I know you need to run. A uh, quick question for you: Other than Caleb Downs, who in this class do you think can make an immediate impact for Alabama next season? Well, it's always a good question, and I, I think that, you know, you look at the junior college guys and the transfer portal guys, and you automatically, um, you know, kind of gravitate towards them, and you look at, um, you know, maybe some guys that are already there in January. I think anytime you can get some guys in, on campus in January, it's always a big plus because they're going through winter workouts, they're, they're around the team, they're going through spring training and stuff like that. You know, really excited about Justin Haynes. I think... You know, even though Alabama's got some really good running backs, I have this you know, feeling that he's going to have a chance to see the field. And I'll mention one other guy that I think has got to, is going to have a chance, and that's Keon Keeley. Keon Keeley isn't on campus yet. Uh, he's going to be a summer, summer enrollee, but even even that, I think he's got a chance to come in and make a big impact because he is a very unique player. And Alabama's got some great outside edge rushers. But he's gonna he's gonna add to that. I, I see him getting on the field, um, you know, during his freshman season. Andrew Bone, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell everybody how they can follow you at On Three and at Andrew J Bone on the Twitter machine. Yeah, please follow us at BamaInsider.com, part of On Three Sports. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Andrew the letter J Bone. Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. We really appreciate you joining us. You guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, my man. That's Andrew Bone. We'll be back to close down hour number one on Big Noon Sports right after this. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
a national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Road tripping, business travel, or bringing your car in for repairs. All great reasons to rent a Toyota at Tuscaloosa Toyota. You can rent. Winning is in the air this February with a $100,000 Cupid's Fortune Plinko at Silver Star at Golden Moon Casinos. Join us every Friday and Saturday nights in February to win a share of $100,000 in.